Hello, podcast listeners. You've chosen an episode of JJ Meets World that features Toby Jones, a kid that we knew as just a little kid one day, but now he's way surpassed us as far as careers go. Uh, we get to talk about animation and some fun stuff. And in our intro, Tucker calls me a very mean name because I share just a simple opinion. Uh, I think you guys are probably going to dig this. And if you agree with me, please go to our Facebook page. If you disagree with me, then mind your own business, okay? Patreon.com slash JJ Meets World. One, two, three, four. JJ Gordon, sort of like that Indiana Jones in that he's always snipping out his next adventure. Yes, he is. He's always interviewing guests so he can have them on his show and they can talk about pop culture, arts, and leisure. JJ has his flag unfurled and he likes his french fries curled and he's fun and then he twirls as he goes to meet the world. He will march into the rain even if his ankle sprain. Take a peek inside his brain. This podcast is called JJ Meets World. Do you have any favorite non-Disney animated feature films? Ooh, let me... Oh, uh, probably... The Land Before Time. Okay. When was the last time you watched that? It's been years. So do you know how that movie starts? Um, You mean with like the kind of like a Bambi death with his mom getting killed by Sharp Tooth? Yeah. Well, no, like she falls down like a cliff. He bites her on the back. Is that what happened? I yeah. thought she falls down like a cliff I mean, while they're running away. No, 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 no. He jumps on her because she, he she's defending them from him oh he jumps on her back he he bites a big chunk out of her back i think she does still fall yeah but it's not while running and then when you see her body laying down there she's got a big divot in her back and she also talks to Littlefoot. yeah like, like, she's, like as she's dying yeah, she's like ah, just go yeah find your grandparents yeah. i was obsessed with uh dinosaurs Really? At that age. I was obsessed with dinosaurs. Uh, so I believe Steven Spielberg presented The Land Before Time. I believe that was a Don Bluth film yep, that yep. he like executive produced. Because he also did An American Tale yep. with Don Bluth. Oh, uh, that would be another one on my top like four to five non-Disney animated films. Interesting fact. I like the sequel, Five Goes West, more than I like... In American okay, Tale. Okay, that is blasphemy right I don't, there. Let me tell you. Are I, you kidding me? Can I tell you a couple of reasons I'm why? I'm kind of mad at you now right now. I don't know <laughs> if I want to let you say that. Here's the reason. Say that one more time. I like Five Goes West more than I like An American Tale. You motherfucker. <laughs> you are so wrong. Why? You are wrong. It tells such a great story I'm about the settling of the American West. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying uh, the first one is Far superior. No, 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 oh no, no, no. Everyone, write in. I believe this is. Tell JJ how wrong he I is. I believe in American Tale, Fievel Goes West is the final uh, film of James. Um, oh, man. From It's a Wonderful Life. He talks like this. He's the voice of the dog. <laughs> the lazy eye. Dom DeLuise gives a great Jimmy performance. Stewart? That's it. James Stewart. Uh, it's a it's a phenomenal movie, like start to finish. It's so good. Uh, John Lovitz is in it, which I like. Sure. I believe it's John Cleese who does the voice of the the evil cat in that as well, who's building a giant mouse trap and he's gonna get all the mice uh, somewhere. Don't out you see? This is why I can't watch it because I have an affinity to that song that it really <laughs> messes me up. Specifically, the Linda Ronstadt version that plays over the credits I of the know. first one. So I think I've uncovered why you're saying you like the second one better. <laughs> now the music, start to finish, in the first one's better. I think there's only one song in the second one, and it's uh, 
the the girl I left back home. It's a saloon song for Fievel's sister. You know that last sequence in the first one where they make the giant uh, rat or the giant mouse or yeah. whatever it's supposed to be. Um, I think it's just killer. I just think that's such a great scene. I, I think it's scary. Oh, p- very powerful visuals. Very Did you scary. ever see uh, Rockadoodle? Yes. So Rockadoodle is another uh, movie that Don Bluth. I let's face it, Don Bluth he never really it. got his just desserts. Oh, no kidding. Do you ever play Dragon's Lair? That yep. video game. Oh, oh yeah. What a great concept for it was an animated movie where you got to choose your own adventure. Also, All Dogs Go to Heaven was Don mm-hmm. Bluth, right? Yeah, it was. He was really good at using Charles Nelson Riley. So as like the, <laughs> hmm. he was good at choosing roles uh, for that guy, but people forget that in All Dogs Go to Heaven, you get to hear uh, Burt Reynolds sing. That's right. Yep. What's mine is yours. Who made Fern Gully? That I believe. I don't believe it. Well, it might be Don Bluth. It definitely was part of the Warner animation right. package. Because I, I have fond memories of Fern Gully, too. Me I too. remember seeing it in the theater and loving it. Do you remember when we saw the movie Avatar? And I was like, yep. this is just a ripoff of Fern Gully. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> it, I mean, my God, it is friggin' Fern Gully. Yeah. Also, oh, man, Tim Curry is the smog yeah. as Hexus. Yeah, Hexus oh, is pretty great. Oh, 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 oh that was good. <laughs> I even liked the Anastasia. In fact, I was just talking about how Hank Azaria does the voice of the bat. Yep. That uh, helps. Um, what's that guy? The the Russian wizard. Oh, um, Rasputin. Uh, Rasputin. And he picks kind of that Norwegian accent there. That's oh, gosh, right. boss. It just <laughs> poked out right there. Um, they People sometimes give Disney credit for some of these animated movies. and like, no, no, that wasn't Disney. Same thing with... Uh, People will confuse and say Chitty Chitty Bang Bang oh, is a right. Disney movie, and it's not. No. It's a Cubby Broccoli movie. He took a break from producing all of the James Bond movies to make Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which I just love. Yeah, that's a great film. The child catcher in that still gives me nightmares to this day. <laughs> I'm going to show it to my kids when they're naughty. Um, today's episode features a lot. Uh, uh, we, ta- we talk a lot about animation because we've got Toby Jones here who – is a kid who I knew in high school and asked me to be in a, a short film he was making, and I showed up hung over, <laughs> like probably still intoxicated. Uh, but Toby's been a filmmaker for a long time. He's got a great vision. He's a very funny kid. You've done a couple 48-hour film projects with him. Yeah, Toby is hyper-creative. He just really, really is. And both uh, he and – I'm sorry, both me and – Greg Carlson, uh, who knew him as a young as a young man coming up, we both kind of realized right away that this is one of those kids that's just inevitable. And now, mm-hmm. I mean, he's had a really awesome career over at Cartoon Network. Um, he uh, worked on regular show for a long time and is currently working on OKKO. Okay oh, which I'm so excited about. There's so many things that we get to delve into with Toby, and I think you're going to find this interesting. Whether you're into the world of animation or not, this is... Uh, this is the this is the this is the next level podcast. I'm for pumped. Us. We, we've wanted to have Toby here for a while, and luckily he's home for the holidays, so we get to get him into the studio real quick. As he uh, is he literally to- came straight from the airport. Yep. Um, let's shut up and talk to Toby. Let's do it. patreoncom slash world JJ Meets World. All right. So if I'm gonna be honest here, I thought we had booked Toby Jones like. From the Hunger Games. Oh, that's a common. That's is a common it, is issue. it common? When yeah. you walk into meetings, are they ever like, oh. wait, that's, isn't that who this is? 
No. Oh, yeah, I'm Dobby, the house elf from Harry Potter 2 through, <laughs> what, 6.5, 7.5? We're going to dive into the real Toby Jones right here, but can I just mention that Toby Jones is one of those people who has one of the most disappointing Hollywood careers of all time. Every time he seems to get a leg Which up. Which Toby are we talking about? Like, the Hollywood, the actor Toby, correct? Yeah, the actor Toby Certainly Jones. Certainly not me. No, no, no. I was like, this I think Toby he's Jones is crushing it. I think he's doing pretty good. He I'm was a- cast as Alfred Hitchcock in an That's HBO right. original movie called... Um, Infamous. Is that what it was called? Yeah, it wasn't Capote, which was a Philip Seymour Hoffman one. It was Infamous, which came out the same year. So that was when he was Truman Capote, but Mm -hmm. then he was also cast as Alfred Hitchcock in a movie where he was obsessed with Tippi Hedren. And then they're like, by the way, we're also making this theatrically released uh, film with, um, oh shit, why can't I think, Uh, with, um, God, who played Alfred Hitchcock? Famous actor. Oh my God! Why can't you think of his name? Alec Baldwin. No, Will Smith. No, 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 no. Playing Alfred Hitchcock. You said famous actor. I need I to whittle it down a bit. No, no, That's no. a very famous actor. It, 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 he was Titus. Oh, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins. And so every time he seems to get ahead a little bit, somebody else gets nominated, and the well, movie is better. I think that he's a uh, you know he's a character actor, and mm-hmm. so you know I, I would say he's I've enjoyed him more uh, in supporting roles than leading roles. Even though he's actually a tremendously skilled uh, actor, whenever I see him in something, I'm like, wow, he's really good. I wish he didn't have my name. <laughs> but he's he's very good. Let's and, let's and just not forget everything. Captain America: The First Avenger. I mean, he rules mm-hmm. in that thing. Baron uh, Zemo. No, yeah. uh, Z- uh, Zola. Yeah, I, Zola. I'm very familiar because I got tweeted a lot with that. And he and he also <laughs> uh, he appears as a hologram in uh, in Winter Soldier, That's of course, right. which is j- just as good. But yeah, I occasionally will get tweets that are intended for um, for the actor. Uh, and I, you know, if you if you search me on anything, you're always going to get the actor primarily. And the funny thing is that. His like actual Hollywood career began when I was like a little bit older. It was like when I was in college, okay. And so I thought I was scot free as far as being Googleable. But then pretty quickly, he's like, "Who's this guy, Dobby the House Elf?" And then now he's like a, in everything. Was he doing yeah. just mostly theater at that point? He just wasn't a household name. Yeah, I think that's what. It, and also, I think he's from you know he's from the UK and he was okay. doing stuff over there that was maybe of smaller scale. But he he broke out. You know, right. he made he, it happen. He also is one of those people who has immensely great comedic timing, but they don't give him a lot of comedic roles. Mm. So I'd like to see him do more more stuff like that. I think that'd be good. So let's talk about uh, this Toby Jones. Toby Jones 3 on IMDb, to is be that, clear. <laughs> is that what you're, like you're the third on there, or you're, you've got three after well, you? You know, Return of the Jedi is my favorite Star Wars film. <laughs> I think I'm the third, <laughs> the third person who put themselves in as Toby Jones. Okay. Uh, so I don't remember who the second one is, I think, but, you know, he sucks. At what point do you achieve a level where you no longer have to personally monitor your IMDb page, where it's getting populated for you? Uh, it was right about the time of, of uh, well, actually, I didn't have to do much with it uh, in the first place, because usually when I was working on projects, like with you guys, that stuff was getting filled in pretty Greg well by you guys. Yeah, Greg was really good about it. The only stuff of mine that I put in myself, I think, was like the movie I made in movies I made in high school that were that were that were of my own work. But uh, AJ no, goes to France. Yeah, stuff like AJ goes to France that I, I would put in on my own. But but Greg was very adamant. He was like, I saw what you did with the AJ goes to France IMDb page. Here's some notes, some things you should do differently. <laughs> he was on me for a really long time about making sure that there was um, art, artwork on there, which makes a lot of sense. And I eventually did, which now is artwork that I made. You know. Over ten years ago, sitting up there, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, when it, what the funny thing is that those things kind of take a life of their own. Like once I got started on regular show, you know, that's someone else is doing that automatically because it's you know a TV show. And um, but the funny thing is that it's not always accurate, and I never know when and how to intervene. Like I think there still is a, I am still credited on a show that doesn't exist. 
Oh, interesting. Uh, someone basically just made up a show on IMDb and put a bunch of staff from a bunch of cartoons on it. Wow. And I, I like bet- Like they're doing a fantasy football yes. animated television show? That is precisely what I'm what I'm saying. And I bet if I go here, it'll still it'll still be here. Um, oh, it actually finally got- Wait. Maybe they're listening right it now. It finally mm-hmm. got taken down. Okay. What was, was the called, name of the show? It was called The Paza Kareni Gets Grounded Show. <laughs> Don't ask me to explain because I don't understand. Sounds but, like a TBS. Uh, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. So, so somebody who wanted to make the Pazakreni gets grounded show cast and 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 staffed the show in their imagination and put it on IMDb and was there for honestly, I swear to God, like a year. Wow. <laughs> and and I was just kind of letting it hang, like, oh, we'll see where this thing goes. But uh, it's not it's not there anymore, uh, which is in a way kind of sad. That I wonder what they had to do then to make that happen because I at least my memories of back in the day submitting to IMDb. You really needed to show some attribution yes. that, that this thing exists in the real world. Yes. So I wonder if that's like maybe if you have an account that's submitted a bunch of stuff, you can get something passed real quick. If or... I had to guess, the 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 creator of Pazakreni gets grounded show uh, perhaps had a YouTube show of the same name that was maybe made oh. with like CG like animation puppets because there are a lot of shows like that that people make with like compute with like computer things that kind of do all the movements for you and do like robot voices right so it might have been one of those <laughs> and they just like look it exists and these all these people are definitely in it and then no one was catching it the whole time is that like uh kind of like those uh reenactments in like south korean news where they'll show an event that happened but they'll basically recreate it using these like really crude 3d figures yeah they're like pre-made 3d characters that you yeah. can get out of the, out of the box of yeah. like the program you get yeah, which are some of my favorite things, by the way. Well, just even even when Conan O'Brien got lost the the Late Show, like that was a big thing, and they I remember seeing the animation of the Conan O'Brien and the Leno like <laughs> arguing, and like a argument cloud pops up between them, and yeah. it's good entertainment. But yeah, it's really a shame that my hard work on Paza Kareni gets grounded show is no longer being shown. But it's it's fine, you know, it's such is life. <laughs> so Toby, let's start with this. Uh, where where'd you come from? Uh, I came from here. I, came I believe from... you were born on March 31st, 1987, correct? Yes, yeah, you found that. Yeah, that, that was on your IMDb page. That's the truth of the matter. And again, I don't know who put that there. Someone put that there. Uh, but yes, March 31st, 1987, here in Fargo, North Dakota, where I remained until uh, the end of high school. And uh, so I grew up here. I, I, I knew all you guys. I was running in some of the same circles, but quite a bit younger. Years and years younger. I was at least 15 years younger. Uh, and then I went to the Minneapolis College of Art and Design after that to study film. And then a couple years after graduating, I think two and a half years or something after graduating, I moved to Los Angeles to make cartoons. And it's been going great. So so far. <laughs> yeah. We'll you're, see. You're being too humble. Thank you. This is a big get for us to know that you're coming home for the holidays and we can uh, score. That's right. I reached out as a fan. I was like, I gotta get on that JJ Meets World. I thing. know, right? I was, We're really I was like, I can't places. believe Toby Jones, the actor, wants to be on our show. <laughs> and to a much lesser extent, this other guy. I mean, I'll take it. So <clears throat> let's let's briefly touch on AJ goes to France, please. So, it, when you're, how old were you when you made that? Uh, my friends and I started working on AJ Goes to France, I think, when we were 17. Okay. And we finished it when we were, like, 18 or 19. So, an undertaking of a full-length feature film. Well, it's something we're all familiar with. I mean, I just listened to the Resil X episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so, it's something we've all done. It's... I, it, 
people don't realize how big of an undertaking it can really be. Right. That's true. And neither did we. <laughs> we certainly didn't. Right. And so tell me about your experience making AJ Goes to France. And give us a, a brief snap. The Really the only thing, if I'm going to be honest, that I remember from it is mm-hmm. I remember Tom Syme in mime makeup. Yes. Uh, yeah. That, that's burned into my <laughs> psyche. We just knew it would click. Put Tom Syme in mime makeup and have him swear. And mm-hmm. it's gold. <laughs> Uh, well, basically, AJ Goes to France was like the culmination of my friends and I's like sense of humor with each other over growing up here in Fargo and kind of, you know, having our, our group of friends where we would sit in a lunch table and just kind of uh, guard ourselves from all the pain and horror of, of growing up a teenager in North Dakota. And you have people who are like your people and we would just make each other laugh every day. And, you know, I was we would make projects uh over the weekends together we made we made a couple different local access shows which were horrible uh varying degrees of horrible increasingly less horrible as they went but (laughs) and then we did a bunch of sketches and short films and stuff and at the same time i was taking uh video production classes with greg and tucker and kind of slowly learning kind of how this works and so just as i was slowly learning how it worked is when we decided to make a feature film uh, and pretty much we decided to make this film as because uh, it was the last thing that we would be able to do before we graduated high school and who knows mm-hmm. what was going to happen then. And so, yeah, we just started, me and uh, Danny Davey and AJ Thompson started meeting up uh, just whenever we had free time and just writing whatever. To, uh, and whatever weird, funny thing we thought would be funny, we put into this movie. And we would just get bored and just write something else and just put it in the movie. And just anything we wanted, we would just <laughs> put in the movie. And like I would be trying to write it, and they would just start riffing just some nonsense. And I would just write it down and put it in the movie. The mm. script was written uh, by hand on computer paper and pencil. And there's only one copy. <laughs> uh, and so basically we were like, okay, we better start production on this thing because we're almost out of time. So Tucker, you helped me out and you 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 uh, provided us with a video camera oh, to use. Right, yep. And so we, we borrowed that whenever we needed to shoot. And we started in the spring of, I think, 2005. And we just started shooting this thing, which was not finished being written. It, we just started. <laughs> and we worked on it until until right when I right when I moved to Minneapolis all summer. And but there was a certain point where we realized, okay, we are halfway through writing this thing. We are a third of the way through shooting this thing. We have a month left. There is no time to finish whatever this was going to be. And so we were like, okay, instead of not finishing the movie, we should just write the rest of the movie as short as we possibly can. <laughs> Uh, so that whatever we so whatever we make will be finished, and so we just sat down and we're like, let's just blast through the rest of the story as quickly as we can, so that whatever we write will be shootable in the amount of time that we have. And it barely was. And the the final movie is sixty minutes long. It's like technically feature length, but barely. And so yeah, it was it was really fun. Uh, a lot of hard work. I, I had to take an entire extra semester, like while I was at Minneapolis College of Art and Design taking classes. I was editing this thing on the side. Just getting it ready to to uh, to screen, and then yeah, I we screened at the Fargo Theater at midnight. Uh, my parents went both times, and they fell asleep both times. I'm told, <laughs> and yeah, much like your story of 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 Resilex, we got you know a bunch of friends, right. and everyone you know we, we helped to get word get around, and a bunch of people came to see it, and um, it was a really weird experience, <laughs> but it, it felt it felt really good. Uh, unlike your story of Resilex, mine was a bit more painful, but I think also I you know I think you guys had each other, whereas I was the one kind of taking it all on 
almost too intentionally when I was doing Resolex. Right, you said was, that it was a, it was it was a, it was a very like auteur type yeah, project. Yeah, like oh, it has to flow from me, and I have blah blah blah, and I just had this young, immature, stupid idea of how it worked. Right, and and like I basically took on the responsibility of like I know I'm going to be responsible for this thing and making sure it got finished. But in a lot of ways, it was like me making a tribute to the things that we were all making right. each other laugh doing. And so it's like, in a weird way, it was like Danny and AJ were directing it with me. And, you know, AJ, Danny was doing a job like in a field at the time. <laughs> so the last couple, you know, the last like third of it, he was there for like half of it shooting. <laughs> but um, we all made it together. But it was like a, it was like trying to make something that I, that was specifically intended to make those guys laugh. And so extended members of the group were only in a couple scenes or whatever. Like we were all stacking the deck there right. where it's like, I have no idea if people, 20 rows away from me were laughing but at least the people around me <laughs> <Right>. were laughing <laughs> but uh, is there anything more fun than like making <clears throat> videos with your friends well exactly and but that's the thing right like the the transition between oh i'm getting together with my friends and and making videos for fun to oh i need to make sure this is actually good so let's right. let's let's use discipline that can be kind of controversial right. at first because it kind of takes the fun out of it sometimes and so that was something that was always really hard to balance uh with with a group of friends was like you're here, we're making this thing, and we're having fun, and it's going to be funny, but we also need to make sure it doesn't totally suck. Yeah. And so you have to kind of keep everyone reined in, which can be really difficult and not friendly. You're all kids, you <laughs> yeah. know? Like, you're all students when, when that happens. Mm -hmm. I also was trying to recapture the the love I had, the, the feeling that I had doing, taking Greg's classes yes, exactly. in the summertime. Like, that was the funnest way to spend my summer. At well, least it was Greg was amazing at, at making us... You know, keeping us reined in in a way where what we were going to make would make sense, but also letting us, like, if we wanted to do something, yeah. he'd help us do it. And and having someone there to actually empower you to execute an idea from beginning to end, I mean, that was everything. That, that was how I learned everything. Oh, yeah. And so everything we were doing uh, at that time, once I started, you know, basically putting a camera on a tripod for the first time <laughs> and, and editing stuff for the first time, that was all from stuff I learned from, from Greg's class. And AJ Goes to France, whether he likes it or not, is kind of the culmination <laughs> of that. But I remember I showed you and Greg a rough cut of, yeah. the, of the movie. Yep. Uh, unfinished, and you guys gave a lot of really good feedback on on ways to improve it, especially with like, the sound design, which was there was nothing there at the time. Got it. And some yeah. of the funniest stuff was I remember you were like, "Oh, for cutting to a empty bucket in a corner of a, of a hovel that's supposed to be someone's toilet, <laughs> there should be drippy sounds of like how pathetic that location is." And I was like, "Yeah, okay, okay good. Drip, drippy sounds, good, good. Drip. That's usually the note I give everyone though. Yeah, yeah. it's got to be drippy. Got to have some drippy sounds, guys. Yeah, drippy Tucker. That's at, why they call you that. The Sandland Diaries was just one big long play of JJ playing amidst dripping." Sounds. Yeah, it was. <laughs> thank God we got rid of those uh, those notes really quick. Uh, but the, but the film was really fun to make, uh, and and it's it was it was a badge of honor for a long time. Uh, obviously, it's not really accessible for most people right now. We we sold uh, much later a bunch of DVDs of the of the thing and gave them out. But uh, I don't think it's ready to see the light of day for a for a necessarily a 20, 2018, 2019 yeah, audience. Yeah, is buried deep. <laughs> <laughs> when was the last time you watched it? Just out of curiosity. Well, what happened was it was a few years ago, and I was going into some ongoing development on the um, the cartoon version of uh, AJ's Infinite Summer, which I love. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm. And so I did that pilot, and then it was a little bit after when I was I was being I was getting asked to do like oh write some more stuff and show us some more examples of what what, what it would be like if you did more. And by that point, I was uh, I was. I think I was just getting started or getting ready to work on OKKO, OK and my friend Ian Jones-Cordy, who's the creator of that show, was like, oh, I want to kind of help you out with like whatever the next phase is, but in order to do that, I need to truly know who AJ is. Mm. Uh, so please show me AJ Goes to France. And so I was like, Okay, and I got him and a few of, a few of like my animation friends together, and we, and we watched it, and he was just he really enjoyed it, uh, which was but it, like 
it was very weird. It was yeah. very weird seeing uh, all of these uh, industry <laughs> professionals watching this thing I made when I was 17. Uh, but he was very fond of it and gave a lot of like pointed feedback about like, oh, here's the true charm of the AJ character based on you know seeing him in action in the in the film. <laughs> so that was maybe three three or four years ago. You know it. <laughs> I think that sometimes people say like, "Oh, it's just this, you know, this thing that I made when I was younger," and they kind of write it off. It obviously was something that was, you know, that kind of became a neat calling card for you. Like if you're if if these people wanted to see it all these years later, even if they thought it was going to be a dumpster fire, right? I think of those guys who recreated Raiders of the Lost Ark shot yeah. for shot. And the only thing they didn't get was the the plain bare knuckle boxing sequence, and then. 30 years later, they got to actually make it <laughs> yeah. and add it into their movie. Um, so it's great. And also, I have huge respect for any time somebody completes something. And that was that was the thing. We decided, like, instead of getting halfway done and not being able to finish it, that we would make it so we had to finish it. And, I mean, I, I'm so glad we made that choice. And the movie is super weirdly structured. It's only 60 minutes long. But because we did that, we got to be like, wow, we did it. And instead of it being this thing that we look back at and being like, oh, yeah, we tried to do that thing and it didn't quite work out. I would watch a reality show about 17-year-olds trying to make a movie in their hometown. <laughs> I would like, I would gladly watch that in a heartbeat. Um, so how did animation become part of the, uh, the equation? Well, I was always into – I always drew comics and stuff like that, but I never studied animation because I never thought that I was good enough at drawing or anything like that to do it. So I just made comics for fun. And I remember I even, yeah, Tucker, I showed you, I remember giving you a bunch of my comics being like, Tucker, what do you think of my comics? Oh, awesome. are they? Oh, thank you. They were awesome. And, and, uh, and you know, because anyone who I was looking up to at that time, I'd try and get them to give me feedback on the work I was doing. Never and, ask uh, me, but that's no big deal. Well, you know, it's, you know, <laughs> I knew you mostly as, as the guy in the, in the, in the diaper in the movies at that that's time. That's right. <laughs> diaper, <laughs> diaper man. Yeah. Um, and so, uh. I went to I went to I went to art school for filmmaking, but I also took some comics classes on the side. It wasn't my major or anything, but I did it because it was something I liked to do. And I was making zines and comics, just as kind of mm. an uh, an expression. And like a lot of it was just comics and zines about me and what I was going through at the time and how I was feeling. And a lot of it was after I graduated college, comics about how sad I was to not have a job and things like that. And I was watching. Um, Adventure Time and Regular Show had just come out on Cartoon Network, and I was like obsessed with them. They were my favorite thing on television. I, I tuned in every week. Even though it was 2010, 2011, I was like having uh, my girlfriend Maddie record them on a VHS tape while I was <laughs> at work because I didn't know how. I was working at the Lagoon Cinema in, in Minneapolis at that time. And uh, I'd come home to a VHS tape of, of Adventure Time and Regular Show to nice. catch up on. And uh, That's this was, love right there. Yeah. The, the, it was, she was very devoted to, to helping me get through that time with VHS. <laughs> and then. Uh, I didn't even know that this job existed called the storyboard artist writer, which is that I discovered that on a lot of these uh, cartoons, uh, the same person who writes writes the jokes is the person who draws the storyboard, and they do it at the same time. Uh, and that, and you know, cause it makes sense because it's it's kind of a lot of the, the the humor comes from the art in those shows. And so I was kind of like, okay, right? Rebecca Sugar, who worked on Adventure Time at the time, drew these promos being like written and storyboarded by, and I was like, what is what is that? How does that work? And I discovered that this thing exists. I was like, okay. I can't draw that great. I can write decently well. If I can do both, then maybe there's something there. And it happened that around that time, J.G. Quintel, the creator of Regular Show, tweeted like, hey, I'm looking for storyboard artists on Regular Show. And uh, I just cold sent him a Facebook message 
which is super inappropriate and weird, but I did. I was just like, hey, I love this show. Here's some comics that I made and some films that I've made. Maybe I could do a test for the show. And then, yeah, he actually got back to me almost right away. And uh, he enjoyed the comics and he sent me a storyboard test. And the way that that works is like, you do a pamphlet of, of uh, like fill in the blank jokes. So on regular show, it was like Mordecai and Rigby in different situations with like word balloons and you fill them in to kind of show your sense of humor and see if it matches up with what the show is doing. And then you get a single bit of an outline. And so the, because the show is board driven, what it means is you get like a three page outline that's like the skeleton of the story, you know, the what, the where, the why, and the who of the story. And then it's your job as the writer and storyboard artist to write all the dialogue and tell the story with, with drawings. And so we got a single beat from one of the episodes to draw and write. And so I spent the whole weekend doing that uh, and just obsessing over it, doing it over and over and over again. And I was just like, in my mind, I was like, this is really just an exercise. Like, there's no way. Why would they hire me, someone who has no animation experience whatsoever in Minnesota, over someone who studied this in school and, and like really knew how to animate and things like that? But it happened, it turned out that JG was looking for people with a very specific sensibility and point of view and sense of humor. And he was having trouble finding that where he was. And he was looking to, you know, indie comics and other unusual sources to, to find that voice. And it turned out he liked what I did with my storyboard test. And within like two weeks, I was already stuffing my mattress into my car and wow. driving to Los Angeles. That's awesome. It was horrifying. <laughs> yeah, but, but it was because, you know, I'd spent years after graduating. You know, I mean, that feeling after you graduate, you know, I where you just don't know what's going to happen. And I was submitting for grants, trying to get movies funded and just like doing everything I could. And it was just like banging my head against a wall for, for at the time it felt like an eternity, but now I'm told that two years isn't that long. (laughs) (laughs) Did you ever, did you ever think like, well, maybe I'll make a career out of the Lagoon cinema. Maybe they'll make me, a shift supervisor. Yes, absolutely. And then if I play my cards right, I could be assistant manager by the time I'm 30. Yes, for sure. Because mm-hmm. like I, I, the Lagoon Cinema is a wonderful place and I loved, uh, I didn't love working there. Uh, upselling popcorn was miserable and I lost a bit of my soul every time I did it. <laughs> but um, the people I worked with were, were wonderful. My co- my coworkers uh, and and uh, the manager were, the, the managers were just like the, the nicest, coolest people. And, and for me, like in Minneapolis, like getting a job at the Lagoon is like, I finally made it. I'm get, I have a job mm-hmm. in one of the coolest places in Minneapolis. Oh, yeah. Your cool card goes up exponentially when you work at the Lagoon. And, uh, and yeah, and all the free movies was an, amazing, was an amazing perk. And so there certainly were elements of that where I was like, you know, if, if doing the Lagoon is all, maybe it's fine. Like, I love this place. And, uh, and so, yeah, I did, think, I did consider that because at a certain point, it's like I, I, don't, I had no idea what was going to happen. And Minneapolis is a fun place, but yeah. that turns out to not be part of your story. So, uh AJ's Infinite Summer. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about this a little bit. Uh, I read about it in our local publication, the Fargo Forum. That's the first place I really heard about it. <laughs> and then I sought it out online. And it blew my mind to see animated versions of places I knew really well. For instance, <laughs> the south side entrance to the Fargo South High School. Yep, first shot in the whole thing. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, that, that was a really fun project to do. Basically, like, I was... <clears throat> I'd only been working on regular show for a little while at that time, and I was still kind of getting my bearings and really, really still kind of figuring out like how to do this and not suck at it. But I was noticing that my friends uh, were starting to get uh, pilots. They were doing pilots at Cartoon Network, and I was seeing that they were really cool. Uh, my friend Ian Jones Cordy was doing uh, the early version of OKKO, OK which was called Lakewood Plaza Turbo, and 
and uh, and uh, my friend Rebecca was doing Steven Universe, the pilot. And I remember just like hanging out with them and they showed me like the the early rough versions of them and just being like, wow, these are so cool. Like Cartoon Network is making pi- uh, cool pilots r- like this right now. Even though I'm not ready, I need to try because this door may close one day and something unique and cool, they might not be making things this unique and cool for very long. And so I pitched them a version of AJ as a cartoon. And the reason for that was like, I, you know, I, I had hoped to be a, a filmmaker and make, make live action feature films. And kind of my big stupid dream was like, what if I do AJ as Antoine Duenel? And I do like every phase of AJ's life as a feature film that's like in that style of like uh, wacky gag humor. And so I was like, okay, how do I package that idea into a cartoon? And so I kind of pitched AJ's Infinite Summer as a thing where AJ graduates from high school and he has literal infinite summer where he's like trying out every adult thing and it goes into wacky absurd directions um and they pass on it they were like no thanks uh when i pitched them the idea um so i was like okay well whatever it's fine but then they were like but let, show us some of your comics that you've done and just so we can get a better idea of kind of where you're where you're coming from and once i gave them a couple of my comics they came back and they were like actually yeah let's let's do something with you let's let's develop something and um they wanted to develop the comic, but I was like, I'd like to do AJ because the comic would have been a little too similar to Adventure Time. And so they, they just held hands with me with AJ and, and, and it went all the way through production. And so uh, Cartoon Network was very like gentle about like nurturing kind of, okay, this guy has like a weird tone and sense of humor, but we don't want to snuff that out. We want to make sure that we have it in a way that makes sense. And so, yeah, I just wrote uh, the outline and pitched the storyboard and it went into production as a, as a pilot. <clears throat> which was just a really fun process because it was my first time doing all of the other elements, you know, the voice record, uh, getting the animation back, doing s- sound mixing and, and getting music and everything like that. And it was, it was, it was a really fun, really cool experience. And then I, I secretly screened it here in Fargo at the Fargo theater, right when it got finished. I was like, Cartoon Network will kill me if they know that I'm doing this. <laughs> but I rented out the uh, the small yep. theater at the Fargo Theater, and I invited everyone uh, who who kind of who knew me or was involved with the the original project to come check it out. And I remember I screened it once, and it's seven minutes long. So everyone drove all the way in the snow to watch the seven minute cartoon. <laughs> and then Greg was like, "Play it again." I was like, "That's a good idea. That's, that's a way to fill some time." Uh, but yeah, that's like the basics of the of the production of that pilot, I guess. And, and then the dad character is modeled after Greg, isn't it? Very much so, yeah. And and the uh, his behavior obviously isn't exactly very Greg like, but Greg doesn't usually come out of the refrigerator yeah. and float up into the sky. And the reason for that was that we had written a, a sequel to AJ Goes to France called AJ Goes to College. Uh, it's a full screenplay. Hey, if anyone wants to buy it, uh, it still exists. Uh, and we had even though AJ's parents. AJ's mom, he has a mom and AJ goes to France that's like a cardboard cutout. Mm-hmm. We decided that for the sequel that he would have a, an, ac- an actual like human uh, parent and we decided that it would be really funny if Greg played the dad. And so we wrote this character in that screenplay first. And so when I got to make a cartoon, I just basically did this character as it was in that screenplay. Got it. And that was as Greg. <laughs> Voiced by Chris Parnell, right? Voiced by Chris Parnell, mm-hmm. yeah. It's pretty awesome. Uh, yeah, that, that, w- that was really, because again, that's what's so weird about casting is like, you're not used to having those kinds of resources where it's just like, okay, we're going to send it to a fancy pants casting director and you're going to get 200 auditions for these roles that you, that you comb through. And all these people, half of them were people who I recognized their names or they were actors who I knew about. And I was just like, how do I even make these choices? And so it ended up being kind of a negotiation with, uh, with Cartoon Network because uh, 
I was like, I really want my friend AJ from Fargo with no voice acting experience to play the main character of my project. And they were like, well, <laughs> if you really want to do that, it would be nice if you'd balance it out with some bigger names and the other roles. And so, yeah, Chris Parnell is an example of that. He came in, he was super nice, super cool, and and he got all the jokes like first time. And he, yeah, that was great. So you, did, you mean you got to direct him yes. as he was acting it then? Mm-hmm. That's that's so cool. It was it was super fun. Uh, and I, the thing is, I'd had very little experience with uh, with directing uh, voice actors at that time. I'd come in to visit some regular show records and kind of studied on how they did it there, but. Uh, you know, they, the process was really fun. It was, they kind of hold your hand through it. And they, I had a voice director and, uh, and I just did my best to, but the thing was that like, at that point I'd pitched it so many times that like, it was terrifying. Cause it's like, if these guys get the jokes slightly wrong, cause the jokes are really weird and have a very specific rhythm. It's like, if they get it slightly wrong, I'm screwed and this thing's going to be terrible. So I was very obsessive <laughs> and I was just like, it needs to be more like, bah, 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 <laughs> which isn't exactly the best you know, as an actor, the most fun thing to come in and be like, it needs to be this specific. But unfortunately, by that point, it, it was so ingrained in my head that I couldn't do it another way. OKKO okay, is very different. It's a lot more freeform when we bring in the actors. But uh, actually, the funny thing was, you know, AJ was there and he was there at the voice record with, you know, Mae Whitman and Chris Parnell and, and all those people. And they were helping him out. And he was he was he was also pretty nervous. And Mae Whitman was there. She was like, it's OK. You know, you're going to do this. It's going to be great. And he, he was really funny. Uh, but unfortunately due to the kind of like fly-by-night nature of these pilots there were no pickups allowed Mm. and aj because he was just kind of getting his bearings uh some of the stuff wasn't quite uh like he wasn't quite singing yet he wasn't like uh doing it the way that i remembered from when we were kind of practicing it probably just due to the pressure of the situation so i had to secretly record pickups with AJ I called a friend of mine in Fargo to like secretly record him here and do a bunch of pickups that I slipped into the pilot uh, without them knowing <laughs> to make sure that it was the best thing it could be good for you to use resources though Heck yeah. right yeah hey you know that, that they say that thing about forgive, forgiveness and permission and so yeah they can't change it now right no um so Toby I don't know if you remember this but I acted for you once you offered me a, a part where I played like a a principal or a business owner or something. You're a principal, I think. Is that what it is? Unless I'm thinking of Sweatpants Kid. Aren't you a principal? I think you're thinking about Sweatpants Kid. kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Heidi. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's Heidi's uh, opus from from that era. And we we were at uh, at your was it your dad's office? It was my father's filming? office. Yes. Do you remember the day we filmed that? Like, I remember, remember the very... da- the date. I don't remember the date. I remember it's how- July fifth. Okay. Okay. And I know that because on July fourth, I partied really hard. <laughs> And I was the most hungover I have ever been <laughs> when I got there. And I was just like, I got to get it together. I got to get it together. I remember, because I had, had a whole day of drinking uh, white Zinfandel. As you do. White Zinfandel. Yeah. In the sun. And the night before, I had, sugar. I had walked over to Bernie's to buy more. And I was that guy who was trying to carry like four bottles in my arms. And I dropped one and it smashed. And they're like, just buy, just buy some some something and get out. You just need to get out of this building. And I'm like, I was so sorry, really sorry. Um, but that was a that was a lot of fun. And I remember like being kind of impressed by like how professional your group was. It was like it wasn't a bunch of people like, hey, let's just goof around. It was it was like, all right, and action. Yes. And everyone was quiet and everyone was waiting. And I'm like, oh my god, I should probably have put some more effort into. <laughs> What I was about to do here, I feel like I'm I'm the odd man out. 
<laughs> that was that was really fun and funny though because you you were you got to do a lot of like uh, riffing and stuff mm-hmm. and a lot of the kind of improvised moments were really funny and also I will say at that time Heidi definitely ran a much tighter ship than I did oh really and she she was much quicker on the uptake of like taking what we learned in those classes and to, to run a proper set and so it, that was a lot more pro than like if you were, were to, if you were to compare it to AJ Goes to France it was like it'd be night and day really you know if things don't work out in animation just looking at you now you could be like a halfway decent Lin-Manuel Miranda impersonator that's You've very got kind, kind of, of you that to say. look like yeah you're right he does he, have kind of the Lin-Manuel look he could like show up at parties wrap something right now I'm just, no, he's not mm-hmm. Lin Manuel. No, no, no. no. <laughs> I, do, does he rap in Mary Poppins? Do you know? I've heard that he does. Really? He appears as an actor in that film. Yeah, okay. mm-hmm. he is the new version of Bert, but it's not Bert. It's a different, it's like Dave. just oh. Dick Van Dyke's character. I, I mostly know him from his cameo in Ducktales. Yes, <laughs> yes, you do. Uh, what do you think of the new Ducktales? I think it's pretty good. Yeah, I kind of uh, shit on it a lot. I understand. Mm-hmm. It's look. It's it's not to me. It's not for me. It's not my position to to poop on the work of fellow uh, industry professionals. My mind one hundred percent is. Please launch into it. I'm curious. <laughs> no, no. You got to listen to a previous podcast. Okay. What episode uh, should I check for that? Uh, Erica with a K. What's the that hasn't uh, we haven't launched that one yet? Well, as as of this recording, but I guess it'll it'll come doesn't out. Doesn't make sense. It's funny because I start by really crapping on it, but mm-hmm. then I talk about all the great things that it has going for yeah, it. If you yes. hadn't heard the first minute of what JJ says in that interview, you'd think he loves the show. Mm-hmm. Do you keep up with it? Do you watch like week to week every episode? So I. I stopped after what I consider season one to kind yeah. of finish up, and I just didn't get into it. But I've been told that they really find their footing as things go on, and I have read a couple of the comic books that they mm-hmm. put out with it, and I'm like, oh, this is clo- this is close to the sensibility that I want. Well, I'm just I'm happy that they've embraced the shared universe notion. Mm-hmm. That that I love. Yeah, yeah. That I, love I mean, that look, a lot. If, if Disney is ever listening and they need someone to do Goof Troop, you know, 2019, <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely your guy. And I, I love the I love the Darkwing Duck uh, appearance. Mm-hmm. I thought I, w- I, w- I would have loved even more than what we got. And it was great that they brought back Jim Cummings to do it. He's on OKKO. <laughs> I'm just you know <clears throat> plugging OKKO. Jim Cummings is one of the most amazing human beings on the planet. That's true. I mean, he's he's insane. I, uh, I got to meet him at a fan event years ago, and you don't really realize how many voices he does until mm-hmm. like they start listing his credits, and you go, oh, my God. And then he did, he did a thing not too long ago about a Darkwing Duck movie where – he was going to write and produce it. Did you ever see? I think he did it for Funny or Die. Oh, that, they should do that. I mean, <laughs> it was probably for a joke, but it I, that's was. something I would watch. Uh, me too. I would watch a Darkwing Duck movie in a oh, heartbeat. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I, would, I would pay evening prices to go see that I at mean, the look, multiplex. Uh, I, could, I, I can and will compliment Jim Cummings and his skill all day because whenever he comes into the voice records to do Lord Boxman, it's just amazing. And he he brings so much to it that just surprises us every time. We can, he, he, is, he, is a, he is a force of nature that cannot be cannot be. Uh, contained. But before we even talk about that, I need to know what each of your favorite Disney afternoon theme song is. Mm, okay. Uh, that's a that's a, a great question. So for me, I'm going to have to say Chippendale's Rescue Rangers. It's a good choice. It's a good it choice. Is. Strong. It is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tells a nice little story there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The extended version is really, really good. It really yeah. is. Yeah, Ducktales still sticks in my head. Like, like it's still. It's certainly the catchiest. Yeah, certainly the it's, most it's, immediately memorable. Yeah, I, I was, I was big into that. But I really got into Ducktales after I got into Darkwing Duck. That makes sense. I got introduced because I was, I'm a superhero kid, you mm-hmm. know, and so anything that's like a superhero and Darkwing Duck was basically Batman slash a few other probably vigilante characters. And Pizza Hut had this big promo for Darkwing Duck where you could get like basically a, a detective kit 
um, made out of cardboard and and you could like it was basically I, I was also into solving crimes and stuff. I was into Encyclopedia Brown. Of I course, was into of course. detective characters. Mm-hmm. And so the idea that I had a like a detective kit with all these tools in it. Was it I, pretty useful? I felt it was. <laughs> I can't remember if it was all cardboard. I think some pieces were plastic as well because there was probably like spy glasses and and other things you could use. So yeah, I, I'd probably say uh, DuckTales, but I got to that through Darkwing Duck. Yeah, I think Darkwing, uh, of those two, of the I preferred that show when I was growing up, but I, w- I got really into, as I mentioned earlier, Goof Troop. But for, for me, the best now of the- give the, me a beat. Exactly. The, the best of the themes, in my opinion, though, is Darkwing Duck. Uh, because it's like the best Prince ripoff I've ever heard. But, but, but the thing about it, though, is that there's no extended version. Right. So for 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 Chip and Dale and Ducktales, uh, uh, you can you can throw on the three minute version and just rock out for as long as you want. Mm-hmm. But there's only ever going to be like a 45 second minute long version of Darkwing Duck, and that's a major issue. I've always been curious. I, I you know Disney at that time obviously was putting some effort into saying like yeah you know after school animated projects are are big right now um you know i think of like the theme to gummy bears it th- sounds unlike anything else that's out there i mean that thing is is truly an epic the yeah. the theme song to gummy bears like i i didn't grow up with gummy bears i barely even knew it existed but when i was going back and revisiting all of these shows cuz i was making a numbered list of all the different theme songs uh, <laughs> i realized that the gummy bears theme is just like how did they land on this it's amazing mm-hmm. it's it's, the, it's very 80s sounding yeah. and like he hit some extremely high notes at, at the end um plus uh that was a song we played at my wedding it was specifically one, it was the gummy bears. It was one, one of the dance songs, songs we played during the dance. How, was, how many ex, how many people recognized the song? Oh, it filled the dance floor. That's beautiful. Because I mean, those are the people I invited to my wedding, right? The yeah. people who would appreciate the gummy bears theme as part of it. Same thing when we played uh, uh, the magic dance from Labyrinth. It right. filled the floor. <laughs> That's good. The uh, the era of that with the Disney afternoon themes, but also that was around the same time of like the TGIF Miller Boyette themes. So it was a very good time for TV themes. It step really was. By step, mm-hmm. day, by day by day. I want to talk day. about. <laughs> I'd like to talk about <laughs> lists for a moment. Sure, sure. Because you were talking about making a list of like the top uh, opening theme songs. I think one thing that Greg Carlson's acolytes all take away from his from his teaching is a love for list making. Yes, I remember my first, uh, the very end of my first June session taking video production, and we're all sitting out like just talking about movies and stuff because it's the last day. And Greg, someone asks Greg, how many movies have you watched? And he's like, well, I actually have a pretty good idea about that. And he pulls out a notebook that he'd been keeping for forever. And every time he would watch a movie, he would write down the title of the movie and he would write the the year, the time that he watched it and sort of like a rating for it. And that was the first time I saw someone who was just documenting just this very basic thing, movies I've watched. I thought, that's amazing. That's so interesting. I want to look through his list and see what's on there. I want to make my own list. And then uh, fast forward a number of years when we've got Netflix, and Netflix used to have a thing where you and your friends could each rate films and see what the other one rated it. I mean, Netflix Friends was was – controlling my life oh, yeah. for a few years because it was that group it was it was me and like Ben Hansen and Dan Asun and Greg Carlson and a, and a few others and like that would that was like I was in college and that was like I'd just gotten disc Netflix and I was just uh, ravenously 
uh, taking in film history, uh, even though I had film history classes, I'd go home and I'd get like a new Ingmar Bergman film, right. you know, on disc and I'd just sit down and watch it for fun. And uh, it was all on that format. I, you'd jump on and you see what your friends are watching in the order that they're watching right. it. And it was it was actually like a really amazing way to to just like get into art together right. with your friends. Absolutely. And when they closed it, I just about committed suicide. But then when they closed it, Greg and Dan Hassoon took it upon themselves to continue the notion of yep. a ratings list that you and your friends have access to. They started a Google Docs spreadsheet that Toby's a part of, I'm a part of, Ben Hansen's a part of, Maddie, I think a few other people, mm-hmm. where as soon as you watch a movie, you can log into it and give your rating to it and then see how it stacks up with your friends. And, yep. Um, and so, I mean, that's a lot of fun, but I also know that you and Greg and Dan and a few others have a, like a year end thing where you like, will you'll share like your top 10 films of the year or something like yeah, that, right? Th- that, that, uh, tradition has become, uh, obscene in, in its <laughs> scale. Uh, and in fact, right now I'm just, as of this week, I'm cramming for, for this year's list miss. But basically what it is, is that, yeah, I get together with, uh, primarily Greg and, and Dan Asun and, and Ben Hansen, and then people will rotate in and out on top of that. And we basically, ostensibly we meet to go over our top 10 movies of the year, but it's so, there's so much more than that. Cause there's like several other lists that we do. We do worst of the year. Some people split best into narrative and documentary. And we also do best new views, which is best movies that we've seen this year that are not from this year. Like, for example, last year I would have put uh, the original Judge Dredd on there. Right. And uh, wow. <laughs> you didn't see the original Judge Dredd until last year? It was pretty good, though. I yeah. was surprised. Oh, yeah. good. I haven't really seen it crushes still. it. Uh, so anyway, uh, and then we also do a rotating list of, uh, of, a, of a random thing every year. And for a while it was always movies, but one year it was favorite songs or, or favorite uh, trailers or things like that. And the, the ritual of, of going through and discussing these lists has ballooned to an unbelievable believable scale like it's now gotten to the point where in order to keep us from being up all night we actually meet first thing in the morning at like <laughs> 8 a.m to begin the lists and we do not finish until usually after midnight wow of, oh my god of just sitting there and being like my number eight film is this <laughs> and then everyone commenting and then discussing in incredible depth and arguing the the, the best thing to do when you argue is to actually genuinely convince someone to reconsider their ranking which is very rare um, but that's that. That's how you know you you did a really good job, right? Um, that's intense. I have a big question for you. Sure. This is a really really important question. I'll try. Which is better, an American Tale or Fievel Goes West? Now I'm sorry to say, I have not. I have no memory of either one. I watched <gasps> them as a kid, oh. and I have not retained the memory. All right, you're gonna get away from it this time. I'm sorry, but you, you got to go back and rewatch. Okay, I'll, I'll watch both films, and then I want to know what you th- what you think is the best. Actually, I think you need to take in the three major American Tale pieces: an American Tale, American Tale Five Goes West, and American Tale Manhattan Bound, Manhattan Project, or whatever it's is called. Is that a straight to video? Yeah. It was. It was. I didn't even know but about it until he and I had this argument. It's something you need to watch to make you really appreciate the other two. Mm-hmm. It's so crappy that you watch the other two and go like, oh. But they didn't right. go down like the Land Before Time route, which has thirty some sequels, right? I think yeah. they tr- they tried to, okay, because they get they got a fourth one out of there. And... You just think those dinosaurs have to grow up at some point, right? I think a lot of them just die on screen. Isn't that kind of the whole shtick with Land Before Time? You're, you're the you're mom getting, dies. You're getting to the point of where like you're watching these dinosaurs in real time, <laughs> and the actress who played um, Ducky. Mm-hmm. Passed away very tragically, very yes. tragically, in like a murder or something. I one think. of the most horrifying things I've ever heard in my life. Just like an insane, like one of those things where you go, "Oh, I love Land Before Time." Well, guess what? 
the, you can never you know, watch it the same way. The woman who wrote and directed Waitress, I recently was reading her bio. Do you, you know? Do you see the movie Waitress? I'm familiar with Waitress because it was one of the last times that Dan Hassoon went to a movie in theaters and gave it a five star rating the day of. Really? Wow, that is big. And I think he since bumped it down, but it was like one of the last times he felt that pure joy of mm-hmm. unequivocally loving something when he saw it. It's because Andy Griffith is in it. Everything uh, Andy Griffith is in, you got to just be like, okay, yeah, Sounds it is good. good. Um. So, you know, her story is, so she was before, like right before Waitress was released, they found her body in her apartment. Good Lord. And it was ruled a suicide. But her boyfriend was like, no, she, she never, she would never do that. There were no warning signs. This is, this is wrong. This is wrong. And so he personally took on the, like, what happened here. And eventually he found a boot print in the apartment that didn't fit. Turns out that there was construction happening at the apartment next door, and there she had interrupted a break-in from one of these construction workers, and he had killed her, Whoa. and then made it look like a suicide. And this comes out like this finally gets resolved almost a year, wow, after she dies. It was was it, the police kind of embarrassed at that point? I think so. I think at that point you go like, please don't become a vigilante, okay? <laughs> like we know that this is how most origin stories start. <laughs> Um, I I had no idea that five star piece of cinema was a uh, was a posthumous release. That's very tragic. Yeah, it's it's a very, very I mean, it's a very interesting read to get into and tragic at the same time because she had a lot of other great. I think we would have seen some great stuff. That's a a list of posthumous releases like, like top 10. Like what are the best ones? Orson Welles just had one this year. Which one did he have? It's called The Other Side of the Wind. <gasps> yes. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, God, I want to see that real bad. I haven't watched it yet either. Bruce Lee has a couple, mm-hmm. but only Would one you, is kind of good. I mean, if they ever get The Day the Clown Cried. Which like, they'll be getting fairly soon because after he he's dead now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jerry so, and, and there's a, there was an article about like what how long the moratorium is before yeah. it can be released. I think it's only a couple of years after his death. Oh my god. So I'm pumped Ooh. for that. That uh, is like the holy grail of of one of the holy grails of rare film. I mean, what I guess it turns out that it's not that bad. That'd be interesting. I mean, we'll, we'll be viewing it through the lens of us now, right? People mm-hmm. who've wanted to see this movie forever, who know Lewis's catalog and everything and no, being prepped with and, and you know you've seen movies that are the worst movie of all time mm-hmm. before. So how can this actually be that bad? I think that the the story of it will always be more interesting than than the content, but it doesn't make me not want to see the content. I still oh, yeah. need to see it. After the disaster artist gets as much acclaim as it does, don't you think that something like the day the clown cried deserves that same kind of? I think that the disaster artist has more. Well, the uh, the room has other things going for it where it has. This lead anti-hero in Tommy Wiseau, who it seems to be oblivious, or seems to be maybe not oblivious, but just on a different plane of of just reality as other people. Mm-hmm. And I think that that sort of obliviousness is what adds to the texture of that whole experience. Versus Lewis being a seasoned professional and just didn't you know, manage the money well enough and the project got away from him and yada, yada, yada. So I don't think it has the same appeal. Less of a mystery element because that, yeah. that's the thing when you watch The Room, you're like, who is this guy? And then Disaster Artist comes out and kind of explains it but re- retains some of that mystery. Um, I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but I mean, techn- when are we releasing this? This is coming out like right as the new year hits, right? Um, 
This will be either. This might be the first episode of the new year. So, can you give us one thing from your list, Miss, and we'll keep it locked down? Well, I'll just I'll, I can give a more general uh, description because again, we're not actually we usually do Listmas during Christmas break, but this year we're actually doing it at Sundance. So Ooh, we've, we've got nice. a few extra we've nice. got a few extra weeks to study up on on movies, which is good because I really need it. Um, but of the stuff that I've seen, I have not picked my number one yet, and I in fact have not ranked them yet. But the the only movies I've seen this year so far that I know that I love are Sorry to Bother You. Uh, Shirkers, um, Shoplifters, and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I can't wait to see that. When I'm I'm heading out to Kentucky today for family stuff. I'm honestly stuff, stunned you haven't seen it yet. But I'm waiting till I come back because my little brother and I are going to watch it together. Okay, okay. And so we just haven't had a chance to do that yet. But we're like the moment I get back, we're going to go catch it because I've been pumped for that movie it's ever since that first trailer came out. It's really good. It's awesome. it's it is amazing. It is also mind blowing to me. It must have been. It must have been crazy to make that movie because of the styles that they mix together. Look, okay, when I saw that movie, I was just I felt so ashamed to even be in to be in the same industry as what they because I was <laughs> my job, you know, before I worked on OKKO, OK my job was uh, writer and storyboard artist, and I was thinking about how, seeing what the storyboards for that movie must have looked like, and I was just like, I can't believe I shared the same job title as whoever made this thing. Like it's so insane. Do you like the fact that we're living in a time where weird is embraced? I mean, finally. Isn't it great? I guess it comes and goes. I I think of things like uh, some of my favorite animated movies of the, the last several years are, I really, I thought Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs nailed it, <laughs> top yeah. to bottom. I didn't even see it in theaters, but I saw it a few years later on video, and I agree, it was great. And again, that that was like the beginning of uh, Lord and Miller's like feature film mm-hmm. career, and as, a, as like a Clone High fan, I was like, this is where these jokes are? I, I just have to follow <laughs> these guys to find these jokes? I wonder how much of that then is, you know, fans growing up and then getting these jobs, right? People who have loved movies, loved animation, and go, God, I'd love to see this someday. Yeah. But I'm not going to see it now because the people who want to make that now aren't making it now. For sure. So now these people grow up, and they're like, now they're big fans of Spider-Man and everything else, and they can make something like this. Yeah, totally. I think that's exactly what's going on, I think, across the board. You know, everything is a reaction to the previous thing, and even even the stuff that that I'm making now is, anytime I'm in, like, the writer's room, it's always like, should we do this? Oh no, that thing I hated did a version of that. Let's right. find some other thing to do, or what, let's build on ideas of what we are ripping off. Toby, <laughs> oh, go ahead. Oh, is it hard to write something today? Uh, you know, they they say we're living in a world where everything's already been done three times. Mm-hmm. Is it hard to write in a world where someone can just pull up their phone and be like, "Oh yeah, this"? I think of that episode of South Park with Simpsons did it. Yeah, Simpsons did it. I mean that 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 varies from person to person, kind of how you feel about like. Oh, can I do an idea that's been done before or not, or if I if I execute it differently? And and usually in in on OKKO when we're when we're in the writers' room, I'm trying really hard to push for making sure that whatever we're doing, we're executing it in a unique, interesting way. But of course, yes, every single story has been told and done a thousand times. And so once you kind of succumb to that, you're kind of like, okay, but what's our version of that? What's our flavor of that? And as long as you can make it different enough, and you find a way that you get excited to do it, and and that's that's kind of all you can really do at this point. I'd like to talk about comics for a moment. Um, so when I was growing up, I was a superhero kid. I was mm-hmm. the, the comic books that I had were all superhero stuff. And I actually remember you like showing me some of your stuff and be like, what do you think of this? And I remember when I was reading it going, this is really cool. It's not superheroes. It's like regular life or it's, it's, it's uh, introspection. It's all this other stuff. And it was actually looking at your comics that launched me into reading American Splendor. <laughs> 
and <laughs> optic nerve and all of these non-superhero things that I That's just so had, funny. I had never really opened myself up to at that point. I knew they existed, but I just hadn't sought them out because I, I had this weird preconceived notion that I'm only going to like superhero stories. It's, it's also like harder to find that other stuff as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. But like I, I, I was kind of the same way. I grew up on on superheroes and I would go to Comic Junction and you know dig through all the back issues and be like oh here's the first time Carnage appeared or whatever. Right. And I, 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 I read Wizard and like I was obsessive about all that stuff. And uh, But it was always just very physically difficult to be caught up on everything. Oh yeah. And so uh, yeah I was just a big comics nerd and then I, I think the way that I got into the more slice of life stuff is that I was hanging out with my friend Cody Cook and his older brother Chris started showing me indie comics. And uh, I immediately, the main thing about them that got me excited was that I felt that I could make them. Right. Because uh, if, if you look at a superhero comic, even a poorly drawn superhero comic is like technically complex yep. and difficult to draw. And I always struggled with all the muscles and shapes uh, of a superhero comic. I remember taking legs. Uh, I can't draw legs. Uh, yeah, and so <laughs> save my life. You know, if I read a Peter Bag comic or Amer- American Elf or something, suddenly it feels so much more accessible and like something I could make myself. And that that's kind of you know, I, w- I was drawing superhero comics my entire childhood, but they were just shapes. They were just like tubes and like weird characters, and it never f- it never felt like the thing that I was drawing was in any way equivalent or 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 comparable to the stuff that I was reading. And then finally through indie comics I was able to kind of help bridge that gap and 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 that's kind of where I stuck when it came to uh, the art that I made. Do you still spend any time then working on your own comics? Like how much I mean I know you're really mm-hmm. busy with your day job but being as that's sort of one of your initial passions. Well, uh, yeah, I mean for uh, basically I did a few zines uh, and and short comics before I moved out to work at Cartoon Network. And then once I got started, I tried to finish some of them, but I didn't because I was going to work and drawing and writing every single day, and I'd come home kind of um, exhausted. Uh, I just want to sit in front of a spreadsheet for an hour. Exactly, yeah, yeah. I want to to just watch some movies and rate them. And so basically, like... And you know, I was working on regular show, and then after that, I was I was doing the AJ pilot on the side, and that was that was pretty difficult to draw all day, and then go home and draw my AJ storyboard. And so I wasn't doing comics, but I, I always felt like I was betraying my uh, my 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 roots in a lot of ways that I that I wasn't continuing this because uh, people really enjoyed. I found out reading my autobiographical comics and kind of relating to my pathetic sadness and self hatred in those books. And so it wasn't until actually last year that I made another comic. Okay. And what it was was I uh, I digitized like three dozen old high eight tapes uh, from my childhood. I got them all digitized, and I just as an exercise sat down and started doing uh, stream of consciousness comics about me watching these old tapes with like so basically be like me sitting uh, me sitting at my computer a screen cap of whatever was going on in the tape and then like a reflection of like what was going on in my life at that time. And basically it was just an exercise. It was like, I'm going to sit down and, and watch a tape every day and just draw whatever comes to mind. Sort of like how Adam Goldberg writes the Goldbergs as he finds <laughs> stuff from his old home movies and he's like, oh yeah, that's right. I recreated this whole back, or, uh, boy, new kids on the block music video. I should write that as an episode. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. And so it was really like horrifying to go back and see my younger self in just real time for hours on end. And so what it did to my brain was very interesting. But yeah, I sat down and I, I did a, a zine of that, of just that experience. And I only got through like six or seven of the tapes. Um, but it was fun. It's, it's just really weird. Like when you, when, you, when you make stuff all day, the kinds of stuff that you do on your own gets really weird. Like right. what, what starts coming out naturally like that. Uh, and then, yeah, this year I was going to make another s- sequel to that zine. 
but I ended up doing um, Toby's Tall Tales instead. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up too. You're also a fellow podcaster. Oh, of course, yes. My yeah, I I did six episodes of of Toby's Tall Tales last year, which again, it was just like I don't know where that even came from. It was just me trying to entertain myself right. in my free time. I think that like you know when you're when you're making a show. Uh, when you're when you're helping run a show like OKKO, you know there's a lot of pressure. It's a it's a large scale project, and uh, and you know we have a lot of creative freedom on that show, but you still have to kind of answer to things, uh, and and that can be over several years. At at times, you can come home and kind of be like itching to make something with no oversight whatsoever. Right. And that was kind of where that zine came from. I'm just like I need to make something that's just I made it myself with my hands. Yeah. And then Toby's Tall Tales was the same thing, which is just like oh I can write the stupidest thing in the world and record it as a podcast and then it can just exist. Right. And that, that, that was literally where that podcast came from. I was just like, I want to have the ability to write dumb garbage that makes no sense and just amuses me in the moment that I'm writing it. And then much like, honestly, like AJ goes to France, get my friends together to record it without knowing even what it is. Right. Uh, and then <laughs> that, that's what it was. Like I get together with my friends and be like, Hey, meet me in this conference room at Cartoon Network. And I hand them out scripts and they, they hadn't read them and right. they just are, reading the lines and just that kind of feeling of discovery and like raw creation was kind of where that was coming from. That was part of the impetus for us to start this podcast because mm-hmm. we both have day jobs where we make things for other people. We yep. make other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. And so <coughs> finding a way to regularly make things that were ours that we can fit into our life. Exactly. You know, and uh, I like in, because I, mean, I used to work in poker TV for about almost 10 years and I always tell people that like being a producer on, say, a poker TV show, if that's like running a marathon, producing a podcast is like walking your dog around the block twice. <laughs> like it's like, oh, I'll walk my dog instead of run that marathon for well, sure. It, I guess a, a podcast in the style that we do. Sure. A conversation I, that, that's true. That's true. We, we formatted it so that yeah. like the minimum editing that needed to happen, we could just yeah. go in, record, get it out there as, as soon as possible. Yeah, if but, I can't research my on my phone what... The, what the guest is going to do. I was like, Tucker, this is too much work. <laughs> but the, the feeling of having created something, I mean, it's it's tremendous. And so you you know, you know, guys only, have only been doing this podcast for a little while, but there are dozens upon dozens of episodes. Yeah, we're close to 80. Yeah, and so even, even one day, if you finish, you'll be able to look back at all of these. Yeah. And not only will they be a self-contained piece of, art that you made but they'll also be you know a uh, time capsule of the of all the moments that they were made much like Resolex. right right it's also been nice for just networking and getting to know people mm-hmm. like we've we've brought in so many people who we didn't really know at all mm-hmm. and then got to know them and they're now our friends we got and a christmas card from one of our previous guests yeah oh shit i should have brought a christmas card yeah, yeah that's I'm pretty that's, disappointed that yeah. you didn't oh, i messed especially up like time. you're on an animated show you could probably made a cool one i mean oh, you could have been like a you know i was hoping maybe it was you who was brent tholomew instead of baggies <laughs> this whole time <laughs> we're gonna use you as like a you're our gateway drug to uh, other like guests too mm-hmm. so like now that we can be like uh hey uh jim cummings listen um toby jones gave us all of your personal contact information and we'd like you to be on our podcast and we promise we won't make you do any voices but we'll do an impression of your voices because i'm sure you love that i don't know that he does no uh, <laughs> uh, yeah yeah i think that'll work I'm like, not putting you on the spot. He'll be like saying, that guy from the green room, <laughs> who always stands, who always stands by the donuts and eats way too many donuts. Oh, so you know him? You know Toby? Uh, so let's let's polish this thing off with this. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen the movie Captain Ron? I have not seen Captain Ron. Okay, let me make a pitch for you to make it your like 
2019 new to you. Okay. Okay. So Captain Ron is an impressive story because it's filmed is almost it? entirely. It really? It's filmed almost entirely on a boat. Okay. Which, as we know, is that's a mark a, of a good movie, right? It's on a boat. It's very difficult. Right. It's very difficult. And there are not to... very many good boat movies out <laughs> how there. How hard it is to stabilize the camera? Maybe that like the middle part of Amistad. Life Aquatic, I would say, is a good boat movie. Yeah, it's a great boat yeah. movie. So Captain Ron is in that great boat movie mm-hmm. genre. Pantheon. Also, it's a great movie because Martin Short plays a character named Martin. Mm-hmm. So they really weren't, they were like, well, let's not confuse this. We understand <laughs> that occasionally we have a great take, but then Kurt Russell will blow it because he doesn't call him Hank, he calls him Martin. So we'll just name this character <laughs> Martin. Also, Mary Kay Place is in it, and she's wonderful. And she went on to not only do stuff before and after that, but... I think she's one of the best parts of the television series, Big Love, which, if you've never seen it, is a tour de force performance for her. Uh, but that's Big Love. That's not Captain Run. How do you think she got all of her inspiration for Big I'm Love? I'm you're folding a Big Love recommendation into the Captain Ron yeah, recommendation, yeah, yeah, just yeah. to be clear. And, uh, and I'm also giving a lot of credit to Big Love. Multi-Emmy winning Big Love probably has some roots in Captain Ron. So... I have to ask a question about Captain Ron. That's it's kind of existential, and I, I, don't, I don't know if you can answer it. But why is it that when in my in my mind I imagine the Captain Ron VHS tape, the person on the on the cover is not Kurt Russell but John Candy? Mm. Is it because the cover resembles the cover for Canadian Bacon? Uh, n- you're no. asking the right person. No, here. Um, I think the reason you're you're thinking that in in my mind is. There, it's it, it's the cover of like the VHS cassette is very yes. f- heavily photoshopped. It's mm-hmm. clearly they're clearly not all together. They photoshopped Kurt Russell to look more like John Candy. Yeah, yeah, a little <laughs> bit. Um, but it is reminiscent in that Canadian Bacon where like it's just a one single shot of the character in that. Yeah, it's like a heavily photoshopped, oh. but it's in that early '90s style that I think there are plenty of John Candy films with a certain style of looking, editing to that. Okay, looking at that, I think I literally just in my mind. Have the words Captain Ron and then the cover for Canadian Bacon <laughs> on top of it. <laughs> I have it's no pro- idea it's why. It's probably the same font. It's probably the same font. It might even be the same color of the lettering. Um, I don't know if those two things came out at the same time, but hopefully they did not. I have no idea. Now I'm just, I have no idea why I even brought that up. I'm so sorry. That's so oh, embarrassing. Searching no, for Canadian Bacon gives you pictures of Canadian Bacon. Yeah, Canadian I gotta... Bacon, Michael Moore, uh, John Candy. Yeah. Um, Canadian Bacon, which, by the way, I think. If you remade it today, people would go gaga for it. I think that a version of that in, with today's politics, it could be right. Could be, I, I watched it just a few years ago for the see. There's nothing. They have basically nothing in common. <laughs> no, looking at no. them now, there is nothing in common no. between Canadian Bacon and Captain Ron. And I forced you guys to talk about it for like seven minutes. Maybe it's just the fact that he's obviously cut out from a background. Uh, and there's a know. sky. Mm-hmm. There's a sky. There is a sky. That is he's the connection. Out, he's outdoors. The yeah, there's precipitation. Behind uh, him it was a very interesting movie to watch, but it doesn't exactly hold up for the full runtime. Canadian Bacon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you feel bad because at one point they separate Rhea Perlman from the rest of the cast, and they're like, you just, you're just going to have to carry 20 minutes of this movie solo, Rhea Perlman. Uh, it does have a wonderful bit in Canadian Bacon, though, where once they get across the border, uh, they spray paint Canada sucks, USA all the way on their car, and they get pulled over, and they're worried that this Mountie's going to be, you know, arrest them. And what it what he says is he goes, yeah, you know, we got a little problem here because uh, in Canada... Everything has to be in both English and French. And so he makes them write Canada sucks in French <laughs> right. on their car as well so that the 
Francophone <laughs> Canadians also could read it. Uh, they're also singing Born in the USA, but they only know Born in the USA. I was born in the... Oh. That's relatable. It is. It truly, truly <laughs> is. Um, what's the worst movie that gets a bad rap, in your opinion? Like, a bad movie that you think has a great amount of entertainment value, but gets a gets shuffed to the $3 DVD bin and ridiculed unfairly. Mm. You know, we actually did a... I think we might have done a rotating list to this subject of, like, a movie that people consider to be bad that's actually amazing but i'm not going to sit here and make you watch me look that up so i'm just going to say that a movie that surprised me with how much i how brilliant it was when i saw it i was shocked because no one had ever told me how brilliant it was is gremlins 2 the new batch oh yeah uh have you ever listened to the commentary of gremlins 1 no i haven't so i believe that the commentary on gremlins 1 is the best commentary if you're a filmmaker Mm -hmm. that you're ever going to get because joe dante talks about what it's like to make the movie, Dick Miller, Howie Mandel, uh, Phoebe Cates, Zach Galligan. I mean, it's loaded. And Howie Mandel tells this great story about how he was just getting started in his career in voiceover, and Frank Welker literally grabbed him as he was coming out of a bathroom and pulled him into a studio saying, you need to audition for this. And he didn't know anything about voiceover contracts, and so he signed one and found out that he was going to provide all of the foreign dubs for it as well <laughs> so he gets done doing all of the the gizmo stuff and he goes okay well bye and they're like no 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 now here's the german and he's like what brie cleekin brie cleekin um <laughs> and he goes and i only got paid once Ooh, um, gremlins 2 also gave us the best key and peel skit yeah, yeah it really time. did when you watch gremlins 2 the reward afterward is is getting to enjoy that that sketch so if you listen to the commentary on gremlins 2 it's all about how joe dante talks about like i didn't want to make this movie and then finally, they literally pulled a dump truck full of money up to my house, and they said, you can do whatever you want. And so he had been kind of hindered in the first one from making it more cartoonish because he's a huge Chuck Jones fan. Mm-hmm. So in the second one, he goes, oh, we're going to go, if I can do whatever I want, we're going to go full cartoon with this, and it's going to be like watching a live-action cartoon, which he nails, it's, in it's, my opinion. It's amazing. Like Again, this that experience of watching a movie that – you have no expectations for. And then at the end, the movie's existed for so long, and, and I didn't see it until like four or five years ago. At the end, I was like, this is now one of my favorite movies I've ever seen in my life. Like, that's how much I love Gremlins, too. And it, and to, and my, I had no no reputation to me. And now I'll, I'll talk to people, and they'll be like, yeah, it's been great this whole time, and you were just stupid and missed it. I feel the same way about Super Mario Brothers. I disagree about Super Mario Brothers. I understand. Super Mario, Super I understand. Mario, it's very... I- Okay, everything about Super Mario Brothers is great. Right. It's amazing to look at. The story is amazing. The actors are amazing. The music, production design, everything about it except for the experience of sitting down to watch it right. beginning to end. So the first amazing. time I watched it was on VHS years after it had come out. Oh, I see. So I was already an adult. And I was like, all right, I'll watch this. And for some reason, I enjoyed watching it so much. And maybe it just is because, I don't know. But something about when they are in the elevator with the Koopa Troopas and mm-hmm. they get them to start dancing with each other. I don't know why. That kills me. That I mean, kills the, me every time. The movie time. is insane. Like, moment for moment, the thing is just bonkers. Right. And so much money got put into it. I think that there's, when you watch it, there's just that thing of just like, 
So much money got put into something that barely hangs together. From yeah, scene but to they scene. couldn't make a full like Koopa cost, like King Koopa costume. They had to just have Dennis Hopper they come had in this and other give him a tongue. They just had this other idea, right. and it was just like I'm, I'm very curious about the upcoming like Illumination uh, Mario movie. How mm-hmm. they're going to there's gonna a Mario do. movie coming out. Yeah, Illumination yeah. of of Minions fame is doing a new <sighs> Super Mario Brothers feature film, really anima- animated. Oh, and, awesome! And I'm told, or they they say that uh, you know Shigeru Miyamoto is is involved closely so it's going to be like the vision of nintendo on screen and i have no idea what that's going to look like you know they're very weird about mario they don't like right. telling stories very much in the mario universe which um, it was strange to me because there's so much there is so much backstory and there quite, is and there isn't you know some sure. of that's been scrubbed from the uh, from the lore if you if you've ever played any of the mario rpg games like there's there's some very interesting stuff that they get into, See, and they, they could, it seems like it's there. Yeah, right? they could totally adapt Mario RPG or Mario and Luigi or Paper Mario. Those are actually really enjoyable stories with great cast of characters. But Nintendo is weird about those. They kind of keep them in their own little corner, right. and they don't like to kind of put them like you could. It would be great if you're playing like Mario Odyssey, and then one of the characters from Mario RPG shows up. But they just don't do that for whatever reason. They, well, they, don't, they don't cross the streams. When was the last time you watched any Super Mario Brothers Super Show? I have not sat down to watch a full episode in a very, very long time. But uh, this was brought to my attention recently that the bulk of the episode, the animated episodes from that, are movie parodies. Yes, that's true. Which is something that I didn't know. That's very of the era. Like at that era, it would be like, we don't have a story. We'll just parody whatever movie we like. So there's like apparently like a Mad Max episode that is amazing with Toad. Like and so, which didn't make sense at the time because there was no cart. There's no Mario Kart at the time. Right. Yes, it predates the Mario mm-hmm. the Mario Kart. Uh, but I'm I'm excited that you know I think Universal played the long game with getting Nintendo to you know to get in on board with them because that Nintendo Land that they're building is. Part I mean, that's of like the, the most genius thing ever oh, as far as what to do with with uh, Nintendo. Right. Countdown to how long until Nintendo is owned by Disney? I don't know. Nintendo, they're very shrewd. Like they, 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 they kind of they do things their own way. They so. are, but mm-hmm. Disney has more money than pretty much anyone else on the planet. I mean, that's true. But I, I, mean, feel, I honestly feel like if anybody's going to hang on, it's going to be Nintendo. I yeah. feel like they're very, very um, stubborn. Let's say, let's say though, for the sake of argument, that they were looking to sell. Mm-hmm. Would they sell to anyone else besides Disney? Disney would make the most sense. I mean, they, they, you know, Disney's been pretty good about holding on about like about being good with the IP that they're right. working with. I would say it's it's been interesting to watch. I think that they're going to one day own dc as well i think one day we're gonna see the melding of marvel and dc into one shared universe the only way that they can do that is if they directly adapt the 90s marvel versus dc yes, comic the series, amalgam series and they do all the amalgam spin-offs i was so into that i there was an <laughs> online vote that you could go in and vote for all the, the main matchups and then there was two results one you would vote twice who do you think would win who do you want to win? Yeah, and I remember obsessing over that list with my buddy Travis, and we had he had like the trading cards after it, mm-hmm. and we just obsessively obsessively followed that whole story. That was an amazing stunt. Yeah, Toby, I think we've barely scratched the surface with you, but we've got to end this episode. Well, before I go, yeah, I just want to say shout out to Ben Moen. Uh, he's a friend of mine, and he's a he's an avid listener of the podcast. Oh, what's up, Ben? Uh, and he was just like, "You got you should, you should be on this," and and here I am. So shout out to you, Ben Moen. There you go, Ben Moen. Thank you for making that happen, Ben. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. Now, if you know the other Toby Jones, or even like the second <laughs> would, listed really Toby much, Jones, that would be much better than this. I, I would love to get more cast members from AJ Goes to France on the show, though. We could totally do a uh, AJ roundtable. Get the get the whole main crew that, in that there awesome. and, and do a retrospective on the film. Because, uh, yeah, I mean, I could talk forever about, you know, 
all, all those growing up experiences and working on troll on news at noon with you guys and everything. Right. So yeah, there's, there's, there's more to, there's more to get into Even the news at noon episode. We didn't barely get into it. Like there's so much more we could talk about. I mean, it was a very good overview. It was very well organized, but we could, we could certainly dig deeper, much more deep. Yeah. That's the name of this podcast is tangents and trying to dig deep. <laughs> uh, Toby, thanks for coming. If people want to find your work, uh, how are they going to find you on the internet? Uh, all, on all of my stuff, I'm Toby Toby Jones. So I've got Twitter where I mostly just make dumb jokes and promote whatever I'm working on. I've got Instagram where I post photos from my life and drawings and Oreo reviews. And then uh, that's right, double stuffed Oreos, JJ. We we can't what? stop yet. We can't stop yet. I al- I almost let this pass. I cannot what? believe uh-huh. JJ and I have been having a massive falling out mm-hmm. over whether or not it's acceptable that there are all these new uh, Oreo flavors that are coming out. I'm pro multiple Oreo flavors. JJ is very anti. And yeah. I thought once Toby is here, because I follow your double stuffed Oreo reviews oh, good, religiously. Good, good. Thank I, you. I want to know, like, I trust this guy's opinion. As a food connoisseur myself who reviews cheesesteaks, I, I really appreciate it when someone else goes through the work of like buying the pack and trying it out and letting me know how it tastes. So mm-hmm. thank you. could you give us a quick breakdown on your opinion of the current state of Oreo flavors uh, and how wrong JJ is? Well, so JJ, you're saying that you you, you take issue with the fact that let me, if, I, if I may just mm-hmm. guess, yep. you take issue with the the fact that Nabisco deems Nabisco deems it necessary to make all these fancy, weird, ridiculous flavors when the existing classic Oreo is is already so great. Is that where you're coming from? Uh, no. What what I say is, I believe that they just don't care about the consumer <laughs> and they think we're all idiots and we'll buy whatever it is as long as it's in an Oreo package. Oh. I have enjoyed some of the Oreo flavors, mm-hmm. for example. Uh, when they flip flopped it, and it was a chocolate cream and a like a vanilla cookie, mm-hmm. that was delicious. I enjoyed that. But watermelon, yeah. there's a bunch of other bullshit that they've put out there. Yes, where I think to me it's just a money grab. It's- it is. But you see, but I'm I'm a little surprised though because I you know look, we're in a capitalist consumer culture. We're all going to die. Everything we do, our bodies are going to end up in a landfill. You know, everything's hopeless, and so you have to have a love of bullshit. You know, when you see something like a watermelon Oreo and you're like, that's That's the one that's the worst. Yeah. You're like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life. But then you're like, but how do they execute it? How do they make it happen? What is it really? And you have to try it. It's the curiosity. And and, and that's the thing. It's like, you know, as the world crumbles, it's the joy in the absurdity of everything. And so you see that they're doing um, every month an increasingly stupider Oreo flavor. And you're just wondering, like, how much joy can I wring out of the absurdity of this? <laughs> and that's kind of where I come from on that. And I, I just have a love of, of novelty and, and, and snack food. <laughs> so, yeah. So, see, yeah, I love it. The, there was something that Eminem Mar- Mars started years ago, which I don't get behind, which is we're going to we're going to start releasing limited edition for a limited time only foods mm-hmm. that I end up loving. Yeah. So, for example, Reese's peanut butter cups had an had an Oreo cookie bottom at one point. That thing was amazing. It was amazing. It was that was the best Halloween of my life. But also that wasn't even known as a limited time thing at the time. But then right. it, but then it became limited and yep. I was, I was And they very were like, sad. well we're just gonna get rid of this. And so there's this ever evolving uh just BS of gotta manufacture that scarcity, man. T- yeah, I mean, taking no- the things that I love and getting rid of them. Yeah, you can't go get PB crisps or no. che- or Cheetos cheesy checkers anymore. And the thing about uh, the Oreo is that it is a little bit sad. There are certain flavors that I wish were still in existence, but the novelty that there will always be a new flavor kind of helps make up for that for me. 
Oh my god! But anyway, yeah, Oreos. Uh, I could talk about those. We could do a whole separate podcast on the history of, of novelty Oreo flavors. But yeah. to finish we, up, we can do that. I also I also take offense at the fact that they won't just release a sample pack, so I can try three of the watermelon and three of this. I got to buy an entire package. And if you've ever asked someone to bring home Oreos and then they bring home some bullshit like peanut butter Oreo <laughs> because they just blindly grabbed it off the shelf, that is a disappointment. There's a simple fix, JJ. Just follow Toby's reviews and you won't have to go you buy to, those packs. You get to proxy experience it. But I, they could they could honestly sell a variety pack with like 30 different flavors for like $100 and people would buy it because they just want to have the experience of tasting all the flavors. Um, but yeah, to finish, I guess to finish my plugs, go to Toby Toby Jones, watch my Oreo reviews, and uh, watch OKKO Let's Be Heroes uh, on Cartoon Network any way you can find it. It's on Hulu, and uh, it's the the first whole first season, which is fifty something episodes, is on Hulu. I love this cartoon; it's been so much fun to make. Please watch and enjoy it. And actually, the first half of the second season is going to go on Hulu very soon as well. And it's also on the Cartoon Network app, whatever that means. I have no idea. And then it's on television. Uh, not enough, but if you can find it, please watch it there. And just please watch the show. It, we we worked really hard to make the best cartoon we could make. <laughs> I love that Cartoon Network has really just blown up in years. And it's not just showing older stuff, but they're really embracing making their own stuff. So, because it employs people like you. And mm. I'm so excited for you. And I can't wait to see what you do next. And I can't wait to keep getting more people to see what you've already done. Thank you. That's going to wrap it up for today's show. If you enjoyed this episode of JJ Meets World and would like to help us continue to produce two new episodes every week, you can donate to our Patreon. Check out patreon.com slash JJ Meets World and donate today. Even as little as a dollar a month can go a long way. Visit our website at www.jjmeetsworld.com or hit up our social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram all the sites the kids are using these days. If you'd like to stay up to date on new episodes of JJ Meets World, you can find us on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, YouTube, or wherever you consume the podcast that you love. JJ Meets World is produced every week by Tucker Lucas. You can find out more about Tucker's work by checking out www.moonbasemaria.com. If you want to get in touch with your host with the most, go to linebenders.com, and you can find direct contact info for JJ. You know, the third movie in the American Tale series was originally supposed to be called The Manhattan Project but then they just they just changed it <laughs>